we're going to resume our um, study on Elijah, how God has been just using Elijah, but at the same time, just training Elijah for his ministry. You might be surprised to find that after he declared the war against King Ahab, he was removed for three years. So imagine you have a normal daily life, and then God calls you to go up against King Ahab, which he did. But then for that, he was removed from his family and his friends and, you know, all those things for three years. When we go into today's passage, it's after three years. So he was at Kareth Ravine for some time, and then we know he went to Zarephath to be with the widow for some time, and now he's going down to Mount Carmel, or Carmel, if you will, where he will encounter false prophets. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 and down. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black and uh, with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and Tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Amen. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. And more we read about Elijah, it is as if someone named him after he lived out his life. After reading his biography, like someone, oh, he should be named Elijah. He lived up to his name. After he was called by God, his goal was to represent God to the uh, people so that they would know Yahweh is God. He is the true God. And he is my God. Not that he has a sole ownership of God. When he says Yahweh is my God, it means that I have a personal relationship with God. And that's what he desperately wanted other people to experience. Yahweh is God, yes, but is he your God, your personal God? I think sometimes we need to wrestle with that as well. We know there is God, God Almighty. He sent Jesus, but is he your God? Is God my God? Not my parents, but is he my God? Today's passage, we're going to examine Something else about Elijah, his prayer life. His prayer was powerful. When he prayed, God stopped rain. When he prayed again, God sent rain. Right before chapter 18, 
you know, the widow that he was staying with in Zarephath, her son dies. And Elijah goes and prays for him. And God brings him back to life. Do we experience something like that? I mean, we pray, but it seems like his prayer, prayer is a little bit different. James chapter 5 says this, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed honestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So Elijah is just like you and me. We're like-minded. We're similar. We have same passion. We have same um, affections, feelings, all those things. And yet when he prayed, something amazing happened. What's his secret? Can we still pray like this? Can we still experience miracles like this when we pray? I hope we could glean some truth from today's passage. So first and foremost, Elijah's prayer might be a little bit different because he prayed for God's glory. I mean, this is what I mean. Verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. This is Elijah's prayer. He wants God to be known by his people. The result, verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So when we pray, one thing that we have to recognize is that our prayer's ultimate goal is not to receive answers. In fact, that is somewhat dangerous. It's a good thing that God filters out our prayers and he answers them according to his goodwill, his own timetable. Just because we pray, it doesn't mean God will just answer our prayers. But often that is our desire because we often pray for our needs. We need this, we need this, we pray for job, we pray for school, we pray for family, health, finance, all those things which is necessary. But then ultimately, we have to move on from that stage. While we are praying for all those needs, we need to move on to praying for something else, praying for God's glory. I mean, that's basically our Christian life. Our goal is to glorify God, even through prayer. So here, Elijah's doing everything to highlight God so that he will make himself known to his people. John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is what Jesus said. So he knows he's about to depart and then ascend into heaven. He will leave his disciples behind. So he tells them, you pray in my name and I will answer your prayers. What's the purpose? So that God, the Father, will be glorified. This is 
the goal of our prayer. At Mount Carmel, Elijah had this contest. So 850 false prophets, 450 Baal prophets, and 400 Asherah prophets against Elijah. He initiated this. He went to King Ahab. He, he said, bring everybody to Mount Carmel, which they did. And the contest was that they would all offer sacrifice to their God and ask God to send fire to consume their sacrifice. The false prophets went first all day long. They shouted. They prayed. Nothing happened. They beat themselves and then uh, to present uh, so that they could have pity of God, their God, to send fire. Nothing happened. And then Elijah comes up. He builds uh, an altar. He puts uh, firewood on top of it and then animal sacrifice. And he uh, dug a trench and asked people to bring water and pour it on the altar three times, four jars at a time. And then he prayed. And God sent fire down and he consumed the sacrifice. Elijah arranged all these things so that the people will have no doubt that his God is the real God. Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is our God. God sending fire down from heaven to answer the prayer of his people. That is living God. And that's what Elijah wanted people to see. You've been praying for your knees to bail. He's not real, but our God, Yahweh, he is real. As we pray, as we grow in our prayer life, this has to be the goal. Our prayer topics, our prayer focal point is to how do we glorify God? And you pray your prayer based on that. Not what you think ought to be. Not just your needs necessarily. But pray so that God will be glorified. So that his people will be edified. So that we could serve together. Bringing God's kingdom, God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's that type of prayer that we need to develop and grow. And I hope we could continue to build this type of prayer and that our church will be known for that. If people think of CCCI, they go, oh, that church, that prays. In the morning, they pray as a church. In the evening, they pray as a church, as a family. And I, I hope that we could work on this. Second, we see that Elijah's prayer focused on God's word. So Elijah prays for rain because it's a drought, famine. People need rain. You might argue, well, that's basically praying for your needs, right? Yes and no. Look at um, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Uh, the land. So what does that mean? This is God's will. Elijah 
is praying based on God's promise. Because now God's will is His will. He desires to be part of God's will. Even though this is promised by God, Elijah wanted to participate. And he desires to make sure that he doesn't astray from God's will. So he goes into the source and he utters the prayer. Yesterday during a Friday night youth fellowship, I had seven through seniors. We had a lot of sixth graders, so they went with Aaron and then other students stayed with me and we had a discussion. But in our discussion, we talked about success in life. You know, sometimes success could be anti-climax. Sometimes success could be somewhat embarrassing even. So why are we spend time and energy and trying to be successful, sometimes we don't really enjoy success. I kind of mentioned, hey, what, what if we were to use that platform for something else? Not just enjoying your success, but enjoying your success to glorify God. Do you guys remember Jeremy Lin? Your sports fans? Professional basketball player? Taiwanese guy, he played for uh, New York. And for that month or so, he was just amazing. He played like Michael Jordan. But they gave him the title, Lin Sanity. Uh, my church in the Bay Area, we had two brothers. Uh, they were friends with Jeremy Lin's older brother. In fact, they used to play basketball together. And sometimes they would allow Jeremy to play with them. Little did they know that he would become six foot three and play professionally. They go, he was okay. <laughs> but Jeremy Lin used that fame, albeit short time, he used that fame to share Jesus Christ. He was just highly sought after by churches, and he would go and he would share his testimony. And we know Tim Tebow too, right? John 3.16, he would kneel down and pray. I mean, he set all kinds of records at the college level, not so much in professional, but still he used that fame to give glory to God. You see, when we go into the Word and pray based on the Word, we could have this kind of platform. Because we know this is God's will. So no, whether I pray or not, it's going to happen. This is God's plan, God's promise. But then when we pray for that, we participate. And as we participate, we have this assurance, absolute assurance, it's going to happen. I just don't know when, but it is going to happen. Like, God told his people about the Messiah. I mean, you could argue, you could go back to Genesis 3.15, but let's just start with the uh, prophets, like 700 B.C. or so, through Isaiah, Daniel, uh, Micah, Malachi. God told his people about the Messiah. 700 years went by. We're talking generations and generations and generations. They talked about this Messiah who is to come, but didn't come until John the Baptist came around. 
the forerunner of Jesus Christ. 700 years. Remember Abraham? 75 years old. Abraham, I'm going to give you land, seed, and blessing. Look at the stars in the sky. Can you count them? No. That's how many children you have. Abraham was 75. Ten years later, 85, God revisits Abraham. He goes, hey, remember that promise? Your children, too many to count? Abraham goes, yes, I have none. Well, don't worry, I'm going to give you that. You're going to have so many children. So Sarah said, well, then why don't you just lie with my servant girl? And then, then maybe you could start this. Since you cannot have children with me, just lie with my servant. And they did. Ishmael comes along. God said, no, not him. Now, fast forward, Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah, her womb is closed, and she cannot have baby medically. But God comes, and do you remember the promise? Look at the sand and the beach. Can you count the sand? No. Well, that's how many children you, you have. And Sarah laughed. The next year, when Abraham was 100 years old, he had Isaac, one child. He only had one child in his lifetime. And yet God said, you have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And even then, God said, I want you to offer him as a living sacrifice. By then, Abraham got it. I don't know what it is, but God keeps his promise. I don't know how, but he will do it. If he wants me to sacrifice him, I will. But I know God will fulfill his promise. So he grew up trusting the Lord, living out that faith. Ezekiel 36, 37 uh, says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep. So God's telling Ezekiel, hey, Babylonians will come. They will be conquered. Some will be taken by Babylonians to Babylon. But 70 years later, I will bring them back. And when that happens, they will grow into a mighty nation. This is what God is saying. But listen to this. Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea. Well, he declared this. This is his promise. Who cares if they pray or not? But God said, when they pray, I will yield yet again. Meaning, I want them to pray. So, it will make sense for us to go into the Bible. There are like 90,000 uh, or 9,000 promises in the Bible. 8,000 8, or so just between God and human beings. So, we could claim all those promises in the Bible and start praying for them. There are 800,000 words in the Bible, meaning we will never run out of things to pray. Yeah, you have your basic needs that you offer to God, you know, four, five, six, seven items that you pray. But then we could add to those when we go into the Word. This is God's promise. This is what God said. And I want that to be my will, 
I want to represent God in that way. So when we pray our prayers, this is more like getting aligned with God. We're getting realigned so we could represent God in that way. George Mueller, known as uh, a man of prayer, over 50,000 prayers were answered in his lifetime. But George Mueller is the one who said, go to the Bible before you pray. Even all his prayers, he would spend time in God's word. Love your enemy? Well, you know, God, this doesn't make sense. I know this is good to do, but it's not possible. How can you love your enemy? But if you want me to, I will try to love my enemy. People have done that, and their lives were transformed. And people around them, their lives were transformed because someone had audacity to believe in the Bible and pray for that and try to live out that life that way. Don't worry about tomorrow. I have a big test. Deadline's coming up. I don't know how, but if you want me to, okay, I will give it a try. I will try not to worry. And and you know my needs, so I'll just leave it up to you. What if we pray like that? Live out that prayer in such a way. You think that would honor God? You think that would take us to the next level of our spiritual life? Getting realigned with God every day. Because every day we're going to read different part of the Bible. So every day God's going to give us better prayer items that we could pray about. Then we see that Elijah gave it all. When he prayed, he gave it all. He had different intensity when he prayed. With the concepts of prayer by David Bryan, it's his own rendition of Jonathan Edwards' book. When Jonathan Edwards prayed and cried out to God for uh, the nation's revival, he was like 300 years ago. And yet at that time, he felt the need for revival. How much more now? So David comes along and he writes this book. And in this book, he describes Elijah's prayer. In particular, Elijah's prayer posture. Uh, Verse 42, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Have you tried this posture? I mean, he went down on his knees and put his face between his knees. I mean, you, unless you're young and flexible or you're contortionist of some sort, you can't do this. I tried. But then, more I tried, I begin to understand his posture. He's praying for rain. He's praying this so that God's will be done to glorify God, not just their needs. God has to send rain for his namesake. So when he prayed, he prayed with that type of sense of urgency, that type of intensity. So like when you kneel down, try to put your face between your knees, you can't. But the way you could do that is when you go a little bit further and keep rounding up your shoulder and arching your back in such a way. And I thought about that. 
So kind of like this posture. And you exhale. In, in that posture, what happens? You're emptying yourself. Figuratively and literally, you're emptying your breath. At the same time, you're emptying your personal uh, preferences and methodologies and your will and all those things. You're just emptying it out, just pouring out everything you have, every ounce of energy you have in this prayer so that God will answer that prayer according to His will so that He will be glorified. It's that kind of prayer. When we pray for each other, I'm sure you all do, do we pray like this, with this type of intensity. I know you do for your family, but what about us, spiritual family? Imagine if this church, our church, EM, we pray like this, every single one of us for each other and for family. What if this becomes contagious and everyone prays like this, with this type of intensity? Yeah, there's final coming up. Yeah, I, I hear your parents are not doing well. Both of them are in the same rehab center. I heard that. So let me pray for you with prayer like this. You're pouring out every ounce of energy for that family. CCCI family. I went out to lunch with Andy's small group. So Andy... Uh, Rachel, Becky, um, am I forgetting someone? Anyway, they were, they were all there. We were having lunch, and Andy is a great storyteller, if you didn't know already. So apparently, he coached track. Like, Andy? <laughs> yes, he, he coached track. You should talk to him about what he did. Um, but anyway, so as he was coaching, they had a final you know, season-ending meet. And he told his athletes, say, hey, guys, we've been working for this moment all season long. When you go out there, give everything you have on the track. And to his amazement, they all did. They ran like it was their last race, and they all collapsed as they finished, uh, they, you know, passed the finish line. That's what they say, right, all the coaches? If you don't collapse, you didn't give your best. Right? So they all did, and they had amazing results. I kind of feel like that with our spiritual life. What, what are we saving? I mean, we're going to have eternity. We have this all, we're going to have eternity in heaven to talk about all these things, but while we are on earth, shouldn't we pushing one another to give our very best? Yeah, we'll be sleep-deprived, we'll be tired, and all those things. And yet, we're going to trust, God, you're going to provide me with health. And as long as I have a good health, I will serve. It is that kind of prayer, it's that kind of life I think Elijah is showing us. Revival starts within. Starts with me, starts with you. Are we willing to change our life that way, live a different life. Not just 10% different, but completely different. Then we see that Elijah didn't give up. He prayed until God moved. So verses 43 and 43, go 
and looked toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. So it, it kind of makes me laugh. Um, you know, seven is a, what they say, perfect number, right? If you are into numbers in the Bible, every time you see seven, God is working. You know, you have to walk around Jericho seven days. On the seventh day, you walk around seven times, the wall crumbled. Naaman comes to be healed, and they say, go to the Jordan River and, you know, go down, deep yourself seven times. On the seventh time he comes out, leprosy is gone. So, like, seven is that kind of number. Here, same thing. Elijah is praying until he saw that God is moving. I want to really focus on the servant. Servant doesn't get enough credit. So this is my image of this passage. So Elijah is, is praying on his knees, face between his knees. He's pouring out everything. God, rain for your namesake, for our people. And he turns to his servant. Any sign? He goes out, he sees it. No, nothing. He prays and then he you know, it's one thing to go two, three times, but fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, the servant could have said, Elijah, we had a long day. You just defeated 850 false prophets. God sent fire from heaven. Good night. Can we just give it a break? We'll come back tomorrow. You need some rest. He could have said that. Not this servant. He goes, he comes back, and I think he's doing like this. Nothing. Because he's anticipating Elijah would not give up, and he would tell him to go back. So the servant is not like this, but he's already turned because he wants to go back as much as Elijah because he wants to see God sending rain as much as Elijah. They were working as a team. My wife and I, we were part of this historical moment historical moment of our nation, January 20th, 2009. Does that ring a bell? President Obama's inauguration. Our nation's first African-American president. It doesn't matter what party you belong to. The fact that we could have African-American president, it's amazing. Asian next, right? So anyway, I'm watching this historical moment of a nation in a delivery room. My wife was about to have a second child, Ethan. So I have my one eye on TV watching this historical moment, being part of this historical moment, and one eye on my wife. Ah! <laughs> and, you know, Every 30 minutes or one hour or so, the nurse will come in, and she will check and go, oh, not ready. She'll go back. And then I'll call her, hey, I think she's ready. Oh, no, she's not ready. So this will go for you know, hours, and I'm watching TV. It's like, man, this is amazing. We're going to have African-American president. Then finally, she comes, oh, I think she might be ready. And she turns to me, dad, push. I'm like, why am I pushing? <laughs> you mean my wife? She goes, no, dad, you push, meaning 
you need to help your wife push. Oh, okay. I'm doing this Lamas thing. And she's grabbing my hand. And I'm like, I'm grabbing her hand with two of mine because she was gripping so tightly. I was like, oh, because she was in pain. I felt the pain because we were a team. Like, I gave birth to my second son. And then as we were doing this, doctor finally comes in like, where have, where have you been? You make money doing this? It's like he comes in like last 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, she's ready. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. Push, Mrs. Sam. And then the nurse goes to the other side. She's holding my wife's other hand. I'm holding this hand. And we are both pushing. We were together. We were one team. We had one goal to deliver a healthy baby. And we all experienced that joy. That's what I picture church doing God's work. We could be different. We cannot focus on each other's philosophy, each other's methodologies. But if we all focus on honoring God, glorifying God, then we could be different because we are all on the same team that way, experiencing the joy as we continue to give spiritual birth after birth after birth. So this is what happened. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. From Mount Carmel to Jezreel is about 26 miles or so, give or take few. It's like a marathon. And it's kind of downhill because mountain to Jezreel. So you would think chariot will be a whole lot faster. It's like sports cars, right? And yet, what happened here? So he's riding his chariot towards Jezreel. That's where his wife is. He goes, man, it's going to rain. I can't wait to go home and tell my wife about this, what had happened today. And then he sees Elijah. He's running. It's like he's running, and he's on a chariot. (laughs) Elijah waves, and he goes, I will see you there. And he outruns chariot. (laughs) I mean, this is a funny story. It's laughable. God has a sense of humor. And I believe we could do this. The world seems powerful, and they are, but not as much as our God. So when we put a trust in God, when we pray for His glory, when we go to His Word, keeping His promise, and just wait on it, because it strengthens our faith. That's what faith is, believing what you cannot see. And then we wait on the Lord, and we pray passionately. And then we could experience something like this. We will outrun everything because God will give us strength. I think this is what church ought to experience. This is what we ought to preach to others around us. 
if we experience this, then you think we'll have some testimonies? Whether they accept or not, it's up to them. It's up to God. But what we could do is share Jesus Christ. God that we have experienced, it starts with prayer. We have to include this into our prayer life. I don't know how many people I have met in the past. Oh, you know, that's one area that I'm not really good at. And I can't understand this. They say, you know, I study Bible, I read the Bible, you know, I attend Bible studies and all those things. But, you know, when it comes to prayer, I just don't know. And I don't understand. Because how can we grow? How can we know God? How can we know his will unless we pray and go into the word together? You cannot do one without the other. But more we practice this, this is the best part, and I will end with this. We'll begin to know God's heart. As we read the Bible, as we pray based on the Bible, as we make God's will our will, more and more, we're going to understand God's heart. Not just what the Bible says, but why God said those things. We begin to understand his heart. Then we will live out our life accordingly. That's the life I pray that we will experience together. We have to pray. More importantly, we need to pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for giving us this blessing, this tool that we could come to you. You're God Almighty, and yet you invite us to spend time with you. We could talk to you about anything and everything. And we have this assurance that you will filter those things out, and you will make it better. And you, because you will answer them according to your will, according to your timetable. So that's why we want to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song in, uh, together in response.